Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Welcome again if you are new here. Uh, my name is John. Uh, I'm one of the elders at City Light and uh, it's uh, my privilege to, to be uh, here at North Adelaide with you. And um, if you are new and have you, if, you, if you have been with us, sorry, from the beginning uh, here in North Adelaide, just I want to say a huge thank you. We've come on a long journey uh, ever since we kind of first had an inception of this church in North Adelaide and, and had a gathering over at the, the pub on the corner there uh, and had a few people meet all the way through to uh, launching some services and then having a public service and all the way through to, to now we're not even, not even a year old yet. Uh, and we just want to say thank you. And if you are, are newer here and have come into this community and, and uh, getting plugged in here and and being a part of what's happening here, we're really excited that you're here, and we're really thankful that you've, uh, you're making this your home. Uh, and even if you're just checking us out, we too are really thankful that you're here. Um, but there are a lot of new faces in the room. Uh, from those very early days, from even a few weeks ago, there's new faces. And so we are between series at the moment. Last week, we, we wrapped up our Proof of Life series through the book of First John, uh, which was a huge blessing, and I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast of that. Um, but before we launch into our next series, uh, hashtag asking for a friend, uh, we thought it'd be a really good opportunity to kind of uh, pull in and refocus. And we are, we are very likely to grow over this next series as well. So it's a really good time to refocus and just kind of reorient ourselves on what it is that we're here for and what it is that we're doing. Um, we are seeking to, to plant this church to be God-honoring, to be uh, gospel-proclaiming, to be uh, Jesus-worshipping. Um, but just kind of really around that, what's some of the framework and, and what is it that we stand for? Why, why is it that we're here in North Adelaide doing what we're doing? So we love Jesus and, and we believe that as a church we're called to respond to him and that we've got a really clear call for what we're doing. And we express this uh, in four short statements that help to kind of clarify it is what it is that we're doing here at City Light North Adelaide and at City Light as a whole. And, and they're these, that we want to engage culture with the gospel of Jesus, that we want to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, that we want to train leaders and that we want to multiply communities. And so we get this, this mission and this call out of the Great Commission. Uh, and so we're going to pray and then we're going to read the Great Commission together and we're going to open up a bit of that, uh, the Great Commission tonight, and then we're going to look at a few other bits and pieces as well and uh, we're going to uh, just remember what it is we're doing and hopefully... Um, through the love of God and the, and the love of the gospel and the response to what he's doing in us. Um, yeah, I'd love us to get a little bit excited about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are incredibly good to us. And we uh, thank you that you have uh, pursued us, you have saved us, that you love us, that even when we don't understand all that it is that you're up to in life, that you are after our joy and our good. We thank you that you have sent your son Jesus. We thank you that you have called us to be your family, your church. And Lord, we pray that as we remember who you are and what you've done for us, and it was, we are reminded of the call, Jesus, that you gave to your disciples uh, before your ascension, Lord, that you will again warm our hearts uh, to mission, to love, to, to being your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we're going to uh, start by opening up Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Um, and this is basically for anyone who, who hasn't had much exposure to, to the Gospel of Matthew or uh, quite new to the faith, this part of text is set... Uh, after Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, and this is after he's risen again from the grave. And he's shown himself to, to many people, he's met with his disciples. Uh, and this picture that we have in Matthew, this window of time we have, is the time that, that Jesus is spending the last moments with his disciples before his ascension. And so the, uh, you can kind of imagine the gravity of this moment. It says this, now the 11 disciples, and you're probably scratching your head being, I thought there was 12, um, Judas is kind of, he's gone now. The 11 disciples, that's a really polite way to say it. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. 
And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. So these 11 disciples and Jesus are standing on the mountain that Jesus had told them to go to. And this strange thing happens. When they see Jesus, they worship him. When they see Jesus, they worship him. Who gets worshipped? Well, in this day and age, the king got worshipped. People came and bowed to the king, honoured the king. Gods got worshipped. You can imagine these, over the last kind of two and a half, three and a half years, uh, these, this band of brothers have been hanging out together, doing life together. They've seen miracles happen and, and they've seen all these things happen. And then they've seen this man, uh, their leader, this friend of theirs, uh, murdered, buried. And now they worship him. Why were the disciples worshipping Jesus? They had seen him dead. He got killed before their very eyes. And now here he was, standing before them, risen from the dead. What would it take for you to believe that Jesus was God? That he rose from the dead? They saw, and yet they some doubted, yet they believed and they worshipped. Jesus defeated death. He defeated the power of sin. He defeated Satan. All authority in heaven and earth had been given to him. We are here, church, we are here because we believe in the risen Jesus and we worship the risen King, Jesus. That is why we're here, because we believe that Jesus is King and we believe he rose from the dead. I mean, all throughout his ministry, Jesus had been telling people that this was going to happen. Oh, by the way, I'm God and I've come to die for the sins of the world. Destroy this temple, my body, and I'll rebuild it in three days. I'll rise again. And we worship Jesus because he is God, because he is good. In him alone is salvation. In him alone is a future and a hope. In him alone is the power to defeat death. And so these kind of core four statements that we're going to look at, um, we could preface all of them with this. Because Jesus is the risen king, we do this. I mean, we could take these four statements by themselves that we're going to look at, uh, we could take them and they would probably sound nice, but without the context of saying, hey, we do this because Jesus is the risen king. Why do we, why do we stay out late on a Sunday night? You know, I'm getting older because I think that 5.15 is late. Why do we come out on a Sunday night? It's because Jesus is the risen king. That's why we do church. That's why we are a church. So because Jesus is the risen king, we engage culture with the gospel. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You know, like I think sometimes uh, all of us have this tendency to want Jesus to have said something a little bit different there. We would, and perhaps even the 11 remaining disciples would love Jesus to have said something a little bit different there. I mean, they've just seen like their best friend, their, their leader, like, brutally murdered by a regime, buried. Now he's come back to them kind of alive. Well, not kind of alive, alive. How come no one corrected me there? They, 
He's come back to them alive. You can imagine in that moment, they don't want, they don't want him to say, okay, I've risen from the dead, uh, now go, therefore, and make disciples. No, they probably want to say, I've risen from the dead, why don't we go back up to that uh, last supper room and just have a little gathering and, and just kind of get to, get to spend some quiet time together again. <laughs> and I think so many of us, we kind of sometimes feel like um, we would just love Jesus to have said there, uh, I'm, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, find a place to be comfortable and enjoy that. But Jesus didn't say, go and get comfy in little Christian clubs, watching your Christian movies while drinking Christian hot chocolate out of your Christian mug that you got from the Christian bookshop where you buy your Christian music and be comfortable. He didn't say that. Not that any of those things in and of themselves can be bad things, but when we take them as a package deal and that's all we got, perhaps it's a bit clicky. And so traditionally, I want to put it to you that there are two really unhelpful ways that Christians have reacted to culture, to the world around us. And these are probably extremes. I think the biblical way is in the middle. And these extremes that Christians have tended to react to are these, to try and either escape it or to give it an unbridled embrace. When faced with the, the scariness of the world and the call that the disciples were given, this go therefore and make disciples, I mean, Rome hadn't just stopped. They weren't no longer occupied. The, the Jews to whom they were first called hadn't all of a sudden not actually murdered Jesus. It would have been much easier to escape back up into that upper room. And we too can feel like perhaps the world might be a bit hostile to the Christian message. And perhaps it would be more comfortable to escape into our Christian ghetto and listen to our Christian music with our Christian movies and Christian mugs. But we're not called to escape the world. We're called to go to all the nations. We're called to be engaging of the world. The other alternative and the other extreme is an unbridled embrace of the world and its culture and all that it has to offer. You know, the temptation for the apostles and the disciples as they went to all the nations, the temptation would be to be just like all the nations. You know, when Paul travels and does his missionary journeys, one of the, the most famous uh, evangelists and, and one of the guys who really kind of planted so many of the early churches, um, he does say, you know, to the, to the Greeks, I was a Greek. To the, to the Jews, I was a Jew. And he, and he kind of says, like, I, I was part of their culture. But what he doesn't do is accept all of the culture. He doesn't say, to the Greeks, I was a Greek, to the point where I, I went and worshipped Artemis. No, he still worshipped Jesus. He still pointed out false idols. And so the other kind of extreme is the unbridled embrace where we sell out the truth of Jesus to be like the culture. We compromise the message of the gospel because it is offensive to the culture. Jesus didn't say, go to all the nations and learn exactly what they have to tell you and accept it. He said, no, go to the nations and make disciples and teach them all that I've commanded. Doesn't mean we can't appreciate culture and, and pick up the wisdom of God that's there. But when that conflicts with God's word and his message, we can't compromise. And so what is this kind of other way I'm proposing? And, and the third and better way is this to, to engage culture in a way that connects with culture without compromising the gospel. It's not our job to make the gospel relevant. Instead, we actually want to show the relevance of the gospel. 
The Word of God, the Gospel of God is relevant. It's not our job to make it relevant. We don't change it. We show how it is relevant. The Gospel doesn't need to be changed. It needs to be proclaimed. So we as a church have a call to, to get into the community, to connect with non-Christians, to be a part of the city to which God has called us, and not just a Christian ghetto, but also to not be exactly like the city to which we're called. If we choose to err towards escapism, we lose our voice because no one can hear us. No one can hear you scream from inside your Christian bubble. And if we head too far towards embrace, they can hear our voice, but we've lost our message. We've got nothing to say. And so we have to walk this line of engaging with the culture, not escaping the culture, not embracing too far the culture. It might be hard, but it's good. Because the most important thing is that the gospel is proclaimed. God wants more people to know him. He's actually chosen through his sovereign will to make the proclamation of the gospel, our sharing of the gospel, the primary means by which he's winning people to himself. I mean, there's no point minimizing the truth this to stop someone's feelings being hurt if they're not going to actually meet God. And there are gospel opportunities everywhere in our city if we open our eyes and look for them. And one of the really great things is, is that you in the church, members here, if you actually step out of your comfort zone for the sake of the gospel, it actually inspires other people to do the same and emboldens them too. Um, and how many times have you heard, heard an awesome story where someone made themselves kind of look like a fool for the gospel's sake? And instead of kind of making you think, well, I don't want to look a little bit foolish, it instead actually emboldens you to be prepared to make yourself look like a fool for the gospel too. I mean, in Philippians, Paul is writing from prison where his, his joy is in his suffering. And in his fellow guards and fellow, his guards and fellow prisoners are coming to know Christ as he writes. And he actually writes that because of his chains, the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and proclaim his gospel without fear. And so we engage culture because that is where the people whom God is, is calling us to, to reach are. We engage culture because that's where the people whom God wants to use us to save are. And so we want to be a church that engages the culture with the gospel of Jesus. And secondly, because Jesus is the risen king, we make disciples who make disciples. Verse 19 on says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always till the end of the age. So simply, well, what is a disciple? Because if we want to make him, we probably need to know what we're making. What's the, what's the end product that we're looking for? A disciple simply is a follower of Jesus who's becoming more like Jesus. A Christian is a disciple. And so we're people on the way helping other people to get on the way to following Jesus. So you might ask or think to yourself, am I a disciple? And I would say to you, if you're a Christian, yes, you're a disciple. You're a follower of Jesus. And so if you're a Christian, the question isn't, am I a disciple? The question is, how faithful am I being to my call to discipleship, to being a disciple? We have all, each and every Christian has a call and a responsibility to become more like Jesus. To want to be and become more like Jesus. 
And so all of what we do as a church is in fact underpinned by this. I mean, why do we want great Sunday gatherings? Why do we aim to have a good Sunday gathering? Uh, Why do we do discipleship groups? Um, We didn't want to forget it, so we put it in the name. It's to make disciples. Why do we do these things? It's to help us grow more like Jesus, to help us become more and better disciples. And because Jesus Jesus is the risen King, we make disciples who make disciples because that kind of multiplication is a sign of maturity and because the news about Jesus is too good not to share. And so we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples because mature disciples make disciples. And to help in that, because Jesus is the risen King, we thirdly train leaders. In our call to make disciples and teach them all that Jesus has commanded, this grates against my personality type, but we're going to have to get organised. In our culture, in Australia, uh, leadership is sometimes a dirty word. Uh, Often in Australian culture, we don't necessarily respect our leaders, we pull them down. Um, But if you look at biblical leadership and what it should be, Leaders simply are are those who are taking people somewhere. And that is, in Christian leadership, taking them to to Jesus, to be more like Jesus. People actually need direction. And so God has, has gifted his church with leaders and has called leaders to the church to help with that. And Jesus actually said in Matthew 9, 35 to 38, he says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, what was his response to them? It says, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There is need. People don't realize it, people don't see it. Heck, people don't feel it, but when we look out at our city, the people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And people need to be led. We have our chief shepherd, our our great leader, Jesus. But he has chosen to work and to empower and to uh, graciously let us go to work with him. And we train leaders because leaders make disciples. Leaders lead people to Jesus. And we train leaders because there's a particularly high calling in the Bible. What kind of leader does Jesus want in his church? The calling is very high. I'm about to read you a verse. This is actually about eldership, which is a a very high level of leadership in the church. But uh, elsewhere, um, actually here, um, it says that we should all aspire to this this standard. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, Paul writes this, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. I think in that passage, the one that most people miss the most often is that last one, he must be well thought of by outsiders. I think that means that he's actually got to, actually got to know some people who aren't Christians. He's actually got to get out of that Christian bubble. Um, but... 
I, I chose that one to talk about leadership because, because here in North Adelaide, uh, we, are, we are part of City Light as a whole and we have the City Light eldership uh, leading our church. But it's our goal and our, our intention as this church grows and develops to, to train elders locally for North Adelaide as well. And we want to raise up and train more leaders generally too. But it's not about titles because what you do matters more than your title. If you're a, a region leader like uh, Tran is for us or if you're a discipleship group leader, um, yeah, that's great. But what you do matters more than your title. Our aim in leadership is to model the faithful walk of a disciple and to equip others to walk as faithful disciples too. We say with Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. So Paul actually wrote this in, in 1 Corinthians 4, 16 to 17 and then 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he writes this. I urge you then, and I just think, this is a pretty tough, for anyone who wants to be a leader, this is a pretty tough consideration. Could you say this? Could you write this? This is pretty challenging. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ and teach them everywhere in every church. And then he writes in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I want to say... In our day and age, we have this huge blessing of technology, of the internet, of, uh, heck, even go back to the 1500s, the printing press, right? We, we have access to information starting way back then, even now, even more so. It's, it's huge. You can, right this very second, get on your smartphone, uh, get on your laptop, get on your tablet, whatever you want to do, get on uh, whatever the new thing is that I don't know about yet, and you can literally download and listen to uh, more hours of great solid Bible teaching than you could ever consume in a lifetime is available now. We have the information. Even if your preacher in North Adelaide is substandard and average, you can actually download wonderful Bible teaching. You have the information. What we don't need now necessarily is more information. Although you should pursue that, and especially if, if you're not taking in good information, what we need in terms of for our leaders, we want our leaders to be knowledgeable, we want, we want them to know things, but actually even more than that, and as well as that, but beyond that, more than information, we need models. More than information, we need models. We need people that can actually say along with Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Because there's enough people out there who can expound the scriptures for you really well, like a thousand times better than I ever could, and there's enough people out there that can, that can help you kind of apply leadership principles and, and those kind of things. What there is not enough of in our culture, in our day, in our city, in our church, is people modeling discipleship. People saying, you know what, yes, read the books, but my life is a letter to you. My life is a book to you. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's a challenge for us who want to lead, it's a challenge for, for those who aspire to leadership, is yes, information is good, yes, knowing things is good, but is your life a model? It's okay if you do not have a title. It's okay if you're, you're not a, a superstar who's great with talking in front of people. Is your life a model of discipleship? And if you aspire to leadership in this church, you don't actually have to be an outgoing, extrovert, bouncy person. You don't have to be a brain on two legs. What you do need to have is a, is a heart that is captivated by the gospel and a walk that says, I want to be where Jesus is. I want to go where Jesus goes. And I want to take you along with me and I want you to come with me to where Jesus is. I want to take you along with me and take you to where Jesus is gone. And again, in that book, Philippians, that I mentioned before, Paul speaks of Timothy as a leader, and Timothy is a little bit like Paul. He's a more kind of upfront kind of guy. But also in that same letter, he speaks of Epaphroditus, who was, his leadership was that he was sent with the tusks to serve. His job, his, his job that the church sent him was, is Paul's in prison, take this gift and go serve Paul. 
And he was a godly model whose task it was to, to selflessly serve for the gospel. And so why have we made trained leaders such uh, and it, one of our core four things that we're about? Because we, we train leaders so that we're better equipped to make disciples. So we want to train leaders for discipleship. And, and lastly, of these core four, because Jesus, Jesus is the risen king, we multiply communities. We believe that it will be a natural outworking of our discipleship. As more people become disciples, we'll need more space to train them to make more disciples, to have more room. And just like those first disciples, if they're going to reach all the nations they were going to need more communities than just what they had there in Jerusalem. Verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. They were not going to reach all the nations if they stayed as one little community. They were under persecution. They could have just shut the doors. And in fact, that's kind of what they did until Pentecost when the, when the Spirit came. Jesus had told them to do that, so we can't really rip on them for that. But we have the gift of the Spirit. Jesus said, I will be with you until the end of the age. The, the person of the Holy Spirit is with us if we're in Christ. But in the same way, we can't reach all the nations. We can't reach all the neighbourhoods of our city. We can't reach all the people of our city if we don't multiply. We as a people, and I'm talking humans in general, myself especially, we're lazy. We like comfort. And we forget the need. I think too often we perhaps spend too much time around nice, shiny, unbroken people, or at least people who seem that way. And we forget that actually the people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And they need us to multiply our discipleship and our communities because they need Jesus. But it is incredibly more comfortable to stay in one community. It is more comfortable for you to not multiply your DG. That is unless you're part of the one here on a Wednesday night and that room's just getting too full, so you probably do want to multiply. But in general, it's more comfortable to not multiply your DG. It's more comfortable to not actually send people out to start a new church. Because, hey, we like those people. And we like seeing them on Sunday or during the week. And we're comfortable with those people and we don't want to change. But if the good news is true, that Jesus is risen, that he's defeated death, that he's on the throne, then we must share it. We have a calling to reach the nations and that includes our nation, our city, our suburb, our people. And so we want this church to grow. We want this church to multiply. We want to multiply discipleship groups. We want to multiply communities and plant more churches from this church. But we don't want to do that just because we want to be big and special. No, we want to do that because we believe that more people need to hear about Jesus. We want more people knowing more of Jesus. Every discipleship group was once a plant of a discipleship group. Your community that you're a part of now, that you're really enjoying the community there and you're really kind of loving having these uh, six to this one, 50 people <laughs> in a room on that night. Once upon a time, that group didn't exist and someone stepped out in faith and started that group so they could disciple and train and multiply. And every church that exists was at one time a church plant. At one time, the church was not a church. And if you look around our city, in fact, there are a lot of empty buildings that used to 
have church plants in them that have over the years perhaps had mission drift or other things have happened. And every church that exists in our city now was at one time planted. And so we are not going to be in a community that is going to stay the same forever. We are not going to be a community that just gets comfortable with everyone who's in the room hanging out together, enjoying each other's company, although later in dinner that will be a good time for now. But we are going to be a community that continually multiplies our community because Jesus has called us to go to all the nations, all the postcodes, all the streets on our suburb. And it's our heartbeat and our desire to, for a start, just for a start as City Light Church, to have a discipleship group in every suburb of the city, to have a church in every council area to, to start with and then we'll keep going. Because we want all of Adelaide to hear the gospel. We want all of Adelaide to have... We're not the only faithful church. We're not the only biblical church. There's actually lots of others out there, but we want all of Adelaide to have faithful biblical churches, not just City Light churches, but other churches too, reaching out to them with the gospel. And so our need, our response to this call is to, to live it out. The church is, is not a place or a building or an organisation... The church is a group of disciples who worship the risen King Jesus and who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And so we, as disciples, we contribute to the church, to the body. We don't presume that the church is here for us and our needs, but that you are part of the church and you are here to worship Jesus and make disciples. And so I might want to encourage you if you're here and you're a Christian, take care of your discipleship. Grow to the point where, where you are making disciples and, and perhaps even consider leadership in that. And if you think to yourself, well, I'm not ready for that, if you're not mature in your faith, in your discipleship, ask, what can I do about that? Now, I want to say that not everybody has to be a leader. We don't want to idolise leadership at all. But everyone has a call to be a disciple-making disciple. It's a sign of maturity that disciples make disciples. I would encourage us to engage culture, to not run from it, and I would encourage us not to blindly embrace all of it without examining the Bible. I want to encourage us all in this, as a church community, can we commit to this, to, to, to help each other multiply by this? Please don't freak out when your discipleship group multiplies. It may be bittersweet, but it's a celebration and it's a good thing because there's more space for more people to have more of Jesus. And so actually in the coming weeks, we've, we've done a training. There was one yesterday. There's another training here a few weeks ago and we've been training discipleship group leaders. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be multiplying our discipleship groups. Uh, please don't freak out. You might not see your BFF at the same time and place, but you know what? They're still alive. You can still see them at other times. And what we want to do is, yes, it might be sad that that one person is not in your group anymore, or that couple of people, but we can celebrate the fact that there's more space for more people to have more of Jesus. We want to multiply our communities because we want to do our mission, to make disciples. We want you to help us to celebrate and plant churches. Uh, we as City Light uh, are helping to, to plant and launch an, an upcoming a church in Port Adelaide. Uh, and that is uh, already started. There's already a discipleship group meeting there and they're about to multiply into a few more discipleship groups and that's going to uh, have a launch sometime in June, July, have a soft launch and then a public launch a bit later. Uh, and that is actually going to cost us something. Uh, we're going to actually be giving away some of the stuff we've got here and we're going to be giving away money uh, to them and we perhaps might even lose a few people. But we're not really losing them, we're, we're multiplying. And so I want us as a community to celebrate these things, not to, to freak out. So what can we do? We, we want to worship Jesus and we want to give and we want to serve. So I want to encourage us all, those who are Christians, open your Bible to learn, open your heart to the hurting, Open your mouth to speak his gospel and to sing his praises. 
when we gather, sing loudly and boldly. When you open your Bible, read deep, drink in. When you open your heart to those who are hurting, open it wide, love deeply. We want to give and serve. I want to encourage us to consider uh, giving and serving in these three ways. Firstly, most probably most controversially, your treasure. Uh, we are actually, uh, believe it or not, we are giving our current sound setup to Port Adelaide when they launch. And we're going to give this away and say, you know what, this is actually really flexible and easy for a church plant starting out. You have that. And then we're going to find the money and we're going to get another one for us. Uh, probably one that's uh, not as flexible because they need a really flexible one. And so we need more money because we want to be a church that gives to do more ministry. And there are so many things that we could do better with more resources. We are on the cuffs of needing different facility here. We would one day perhaps even love to be able to run paid church planting internships where people who were going to plant churches could come in, could actually be able to devote themselves to that full-time to get trained in that, that we could then send them out. If we had the money, we'd love to do that. So how... If I want to give my treasure, how do I give? We actually, you may have noticed, we don't actually take up a collection here as part of the service. Uh, that's often, that, there's a few reasons for that, but one of them is because uh, too often that's actually an, an, an exercise of guilt, like feeling guilty that you haven't kind of given, and then we kind of appease that sense of guilt by tossing in the handful of small coins that we may happen to have in our pocket, and then we don't feel guilty anymore, and we feel like we've done our discipleship. And we kind of missed the point. And so we actually do our giving differently. We give to, uh, as Christians, we give to God first and we give intentionally and we give cheerfully. We don't kind of give guiltily as the bag comes past whatever's in our pocket. And so we, uh, we I was going to say largely, we currently only do online giving at the moment. And we do that because we, we don't want it to be this big kind of public thing where everyone kind of, kind of looks over their shoulder and sees what everyone else is doing. We want to give generously from our hearts uh, what God, what we have decided in our hearts to give, uh, not what we have loose change in our pocket when the bag comes past. And so we, that's how we do it. So if you want details for that on our website online, on the City Light website, there's details for North Adelaide giving, uh, and we're happy to chat more about that. I want to encourage you to give generously of your time. This one actually is interesting in our culture. Many people actually find their time to be more valuable to them than money. And I think that's actually probably a symptom of how rich our culture, like how rich we are, even though we don't think we're rich, we're, we're damn rich. When I was growing up, uh, my primary school, and when I was growing up, this is probably pretty common, when our school did a fundraiser, um, what they would do is that they would do some sort of activity and all the families would come in and give some of their time and they'd raise some money that way. And so um, maybe... Uh, uh, show my age to some of the really young people here, but everyone else is probably don't think I'm old. Uh, this is what would happen, is all the parents would come out for my school fundraiser and would get a trailer, and one of the parents would drive the trailer, and one would kind of sit on the back with all the kids, and would drive around on the streets, and would go deliver the phone books. Now, what's a phone book? Well, <laughs> there's these books of phone numbers that you would uh, put before the internet, that you would put under your monitor, because uh, no one ever used them to... Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we would, we would all get on the back of the trailer and the parents would come out and we'd drive around in the trailer and we'd deliver the phone books and we'd get paid to do that and we'd do that as a school fundraiser. Or perhaps like other people would do um, is, you know, you, you, your sporting club sends you home with a box of chocolates and then you go around to all your neighbours and you knock on the door and you sell the chocolates and you bring back the money. Has anyone ever done that? Now, uh, I think... That, that thing that I, we did with my school, they, I mean, it's not just the fact that we don't have phone books anymore that we don't do that. Um, I think they do still do little phone books, but no one ever takes them inside. They go straight in the recycling. Recycling people. Um, you just tear them. You just tear them? Okay. <laughs> but schools don't do that anymore, from what I can tell, often. Like, if you put on a fundraiser and ask all the parents and the friends and the family to come in and help, they don't, they're like, well, can I just write a check? <laughs> can I just send some cash instead? So I think in our culture, in our day and age, people perhaps value their time more than their money. And it's actually probably harder to get people to open their calendars than it is to get them to open their wallets. 
And, you know, we, we have these, these, these uh, Cadbury chocolate boxes, and, and how much do you know that you don't actually go and knock on the neighbour's doors, the family just eats them and then you donate the money? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> you can tell my family did that. Um, <laughs> People can't be stuffed walking the block and, taking to the neighbor, and talking to the neighbours. And, and so... It's a symptom of our culture that, in fact, we, we, I don't think we actually are more time pressed. We just think we are. Um, but in our culture, people value their time or their money. And so one of the most valuable things you can do is to actually be some, someone who has time. Uh, and I don't just mean, I mean, even outside of the life of what this church does, if you could be that person to your neighbours and, and your friends and the, and the people you work with and that person who, you know what, doesn't just say I'm busy every five seconds, I think people would even just notice that and be available. And so I want to encourage you to, to give and serve by having time for people, having time for, for presence, because you can have time for people, but maybe perhaps put the phone away and be present. Having, having time to serve. I mean, we've got people that uh, to give up, they give up their time and they get here early and they do this setup and they, and they uh, come and uh, make coffee and they do... Uh, band stuff, and, and that's just what you see here on a Sunday, but aside from that, we've got discipleship group leaders who actually don't just show up for the two hours on a, on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever night. They actually put in heart and, and prayer and follow people up and, and prepare the, the things for that group and, and actually ring people and actually have a, have a heart for them outside of the Sunday in the two hours, and, and that takes time. And we've got people who serve uh, our local college community. Uh, Kieran heads up the, uh, what we call... Uh, the red frogs and and we go and um and love those people and and love those college students and and try and share the gospel with them and so i would encourage you to have time for people have time for presence have time to serve have time to to make disciples because i want to encourage you if you want to serve as a discipleship group leader or even if you want to be a disciple making disciple um, that is going to cost you something your time because people are messy life is messy and it doesn't neatly fit into the two a lot of two hour window that you set aside once a week (laughs) if anyone wants to um uh Help me with my memory. Feel free. Um, (laughs) Discipleship doesn't fit into your schedule neatly. I mean, we we don't run Bible studies. We don't simply host coffee and chats. We do discipleship. And I want to encourage you, uh, your your treasure, your, your time and your talent to serve with your talent. And so uh, we've got people, very talented musicians, who, who come and they lead us and help us uh, to engage in worship. Uh, we've got talented uh, graphic designers and people who, who give of their talent to help um, our produce and the things we put out to, to look beautiful. And we've got people who help with their talent to, to make coffees. We've got people who help with their, their talent to, to plan and run programs. We've got people who help with their talent and, and to, to cook us wonderful barbecues and meals and things. And we've got people who help with their all sorts of talent. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, what if I have none? What if I have no talent? Well, I'll give you a hug because you're obviously a little bit down on yourself. Um, but even if all you have is, is a smile and a pair of hands, you're good to go. Because even if you feel like you have none, we'll train you, we'll help you. We want to equip you to serve. Because in leadership, in serving, in being generous with yourself, your character matters way more than your competency. And so I want to encourage us to, to give of our treasure, our time and our talent as we seek to make disciples because Jesus is the risen king. Because Jesus is the risen king, we engage culture with the gospel about him. We make disciples who make disciples. We train leaders and we multiply communities. And so I want to ask you, will you join us? The mission is hard. It will take your whole life 
but the reward is great. And the king is kind. And he is after your joy and your good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so generous with us that you could have done things any way you wanted, but you chose in your wisdom and in your good pleasure to invite us into your work. We thank you that you have called us to be part of your mission to redeem people for your kingdom. We thank you that even though we do not deserve your grace, you have lavished it upon us. Not only have we your son, not only have we forgiveness, not only have we redemption and salvation, but you have prepared good works for us to walk into. And so I pray that as your Holy Spirit inspires us and fills us and comforts us and guides us, Lord, that you will help us to be a church that is not simply comfortable in our own little world, that is not simply happy to just go along with everything from our culture, Lord, but walks the hard road in between where you have called us to be your people, to be your light amongst our city. We pray that you would help us to be disciples who make disciples. We pray that you would help us to train leaders so that the people who are harassed and helpless would have a shepherd and we could lead them to you. And we pray that you would bless this work so that we could multiply ourselves and multiply communities so that more of you could be known in our city. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.